On today's episode of the Keto Camp Podcast, we talk about plant toxicity with Dr. Robert Kiltz. Because we need symbols, we need something to equate it to. Because if you go to the amusement park every day, your body's going to be trashed. And that's not good for us. Now, we've taken an amusement park and made it every day. Instead of recognizing we are a temple holy in its production, its, its entity, right? But we've taken holy and made it every day a holiday instead of recognizing that holidays are meant to be time to time, so you can go to the amusement park from time to time, but if you go all the time, you know what it's gonna do to your body. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I wanna thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. I am super pumped up for today's conversation with Dr. Robert Kiltz. I first met Robert uh, last year in 2022. I was speaking at Keto Symposium, and he had a, a little booth there where he had this, uh, incredible ice cream that he was making, but I met him at dinner. We had a great conversation, and then I started to study some more of his work, and I was just blown away by his of course, expertise and credentials and all that, but he really cares about educating the world and he's putting out such great content with his podcast, his YouTube, his books, etc. So we sat down and had an awesome conversation. You're going to hear all about his backstory. He has a really popular TEDx talk that's on YouTube about treating your body like a Ferrari and how, <laughs> very controversial, I was surprised they allowed him to do this on his TEDx talk, but why plants are killing you. Carbs are not essential. And you know what? He makes a great point. So we talk about his TEDx talk and uh, some of the things that came out of that. We discussed the cell membrane and why the cell membrane loves fat, why the body loves ketosis, why the body loves meat. We get into the benefits of an animal-based diet. We talk about the innate intelligence giving you clues to your body being out of homeostasis and those clues are symptoms and diagnosis and why those are actually a gift, not the problem. We get into glycans, understanding the role of glycans in your red blood cells, why somebody might have an inflammatory response or food sensitivity or allergy to a certain plant, and the other person might not have that same response. Why are we so unique? We'll talk about that. And then we talk about fertility issues. Uh, we talk about different lab markers follicle-stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone, 
what we can do to make ourselves more fertile because we do have an issue these days with infertility. And that's his expertise. He has books about that. He has clinics all over the world, fertility clinics. So we'll discuss that. We'll discuss the role of toxins when it comes to health and also fertility and the health of our future children, etc. And so much more. Here's a funny story before I get into the conversation with Robert. I was just at uh, in Denver, Colorado at Low Carb Denver just a, a couple weeks ago. And uh, Robert was there. He moderated a panel. I did as well. And on the last day, I, I walked up to him and I said, hey, you want to go get lunch? Uh, it was lunchtime. We had an hour break. So we went to this restaurant at the at the hotel there. We asked him, of course, do you have burgers? They did. Do you grill them? They do. Do you use any oils? No. Perfect. We sat down because they were not using vegetable oils. That's I always ask that question, by the way. I hope you do so as well. And then we were having lunch and he had to be back by 1 p.m. And we sat down like around 12.20. So we told the server, hey, we need to get back by one. Well, at least Robert needed to get back by one because he was going to get ready to moderate a panel. The food came out a little late and we both ordered the same thing. The two orders of uh, double patty burgers. So that means each of us got four burgers uh, because it was double patties for each one. So two and two for me, two and two for him. Of course, without the bun, without any like mayonnaise or anything like that. We just asked for that with butter, additional butter. And the food came like around 12.50. Keep in mind, he's, he needs to be back by one. So we're sitting down eating, having a great conversation. He's such a brilliant man, such a humble guy, incredible guy. And then it gets closer to one. <laughs> so he needed to leave. And I said, just go ahead, Robert. I'll take care of the check. I'll finish this meal by myself. No problem. And he left uh, because he had to go. And he didn't finish his food. So I ate my four burgers and I was still pretty hungry. So I finished his food, which was six burgers. So I sat there by myself. The waitress was impressed. <laughs> and I ate six burgers all by myself. And it was so good. I actually asked the waitress, I said, have you ever seen anybody do this before? And she laughed and she said, no. But you know what? I feasted. And I was in Denver until the next day. I flew back to Miami the following morning. But the reason I'm sharing this is because, number one, to kind of give you clues to what I do at restaurants to avoid seed oils. But number two, I didn't have anything to eat until I got back to Miami. So I ate around, let's say, 1 p.m. Uh, mountain time on Sunday. I flew back to Miami Monday. I got to my apartment by like 6 p.m. Eastern time. So that would mean I fasted for, I don't know, 27, 28 hours right after that feast. And that is the cycle of life. We are designed to feast eat high-quality protein, animal-based protein, eat until full, and then we are designed to fast. And I fasted up until the next night. And I felt great. I, I always fast when I travel. I don't want to eat airplane food, airport food. I, I just drink water and let my body tap into its body fat and let, let those ketones get produced. So um, that's what I did, and I felt great. So it was a great conversation with him in person, and we had a great conversation for the podcast, and I'm going to bring them on in a second. So I hope you enjoy that story, by the way. I do want to acknowledge today's Apple podcast rating and review of the day before we bring on Dr. Robert Kiltz. Today's rating and review comes from Mateus111, titled Fantastic. Here is what Mateus wrote in his five-star review. 
Brilliant info, and Ben is awesome. The show is positive, and Ben asked great questions. I have been in a deep dive for the past three months, and I am addicted. The information is life-changing. Thank you, Ben, for your dedication. Mateus, I am so glad you're taking a deep dive and getting addicted, becoming obsessed. You know, we think of obsessed and obsessions as a bad thing, but they're not. Your obsessions become your possession. So as long as you direct that obsession and that energy towards a positive thing like you are doing studying health, it's a brilliant thing. It's only when your obsessions are directed towards something negative that it becomes a bad thing. So I love that you're obsessed with this. I love that you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review, you've been listening or this is your first time, I would beg you. <laughs> I am verbally begging you to leave the show rating and review because it really is the lifeline of these shows. The more reviews we get, the more the algorithm shows the podcast on people's podcast platforms and the more lives we get to change. So I would really appreciate that. And maybe I'll read your review on the next episode. I have a big announcement to make. This is the first time you're going to hear it. So get ready. You're going to get pumped up for this. A few times per year, me and the Keto Camp team launch a seven-day keto challenge. It's free. We bring on different speakers. The last one we did was a complete hit. And we officially have the dates for the next one and our confirmed speakers. So I'm going to announce that right now on today's show. You ready? So the next Keto Kickstart Challenge is going to take place April 10th, Monday, April 10th. And it's going to run all the way until April 17th, the following Monday. Seven days in a row, seven sessions. Each session is about two hours each. Here are the confirmed speakers. Are you ready for this? Our first confirmed speaker is Dr. Jason Fung, the legend, the father of fasting, <laughs> medical doctor who has written great books like The Obesity Code, The Cancer Code, The PCOS Plan. He's a New York Times bestselling author. I don't really have to give his bio. You know who he is. He's a legend. And he is a confirmed speaker for our challenge. We also have Dr. Ken Berry, medical doctor, the Mr. Proper Human Diet himself. He is a confirmed speaker as well. And then we have Dr. Annette Boz. You probably follow her on her wonderful YouTube channel, Dr. Boz. She's going to be on the challenge. We have some other, other special guests too that I'm not going to announce. But those are the, th the three confirmed that I'll share with you today. We are also going to be giving away over $10,000 in free prizes from supplements to a one-year membership to our signature course, the Keto Camp Academy, to exogenous ketones, and a lot of stuff. The challenge is completely free. All you need to do is head over to ketocampchallenge.com. Remember, camp is spelled with a K. Ketocampchallenge.com. You can see the details and then sign up. There is an option to upgrade your membership. And uh, you can do that if you want, but if not, it's completely free. Seven days, we'll take a deep dive together. We'll drop that link down below as well. I am so pumped up. This is going to be our best one yet, by the way. Okay, now that all of that is out of the way, let's have an outstanding conversation with Dr. Robert Kiltz. Dr. Robert Kiltz 
medical doctor, is the founder and director of CNY Fertility, one of the largest and most innovative fertility practices in the country, with over 60% of its patients traveling from out of state or overseas to be seen. Over more than two decades of helping families grow, Dr. Kiltz has developed cutting-edge approaches to fertility grounded in Western medicine and supported by practices of holistic medicine. To treat the whole person, the mind, the body, the spirit, Dr. Kiltz revolutionized the fertility industry by providing full-service healing art centers where patients receive massage, acupuncture, and yoga instruction. Dr. Kiltz is a thought leader in the keto carnivore movement. Dr. Kiltz believes that an animal-based diet dramatically improves mental clarity, fertility, and health, and empowering people to live their best lives. In addition to his own media channels, he appears regularly on numerous blogs and social media outlets and has shared his views as a speaker at TEDx, and he's on today's podcast. So here's Dr. Kiltz. Dr. Robert Kiltz, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Ben, thank you so much. I'm really great to, to, grateful to be here and share the conversations of healing people outside the box of uh, standard uh, practice of medicine and, and healthcare. We're going to talk a lot about that box and why that box is very, very dangerous. And we want to stay away out of that box. So we'll, we'll get to that for sure. I was on your podcast a couple of months ago, your amazing podcast. We had a fantastic conversation. We first connected in New York, New York City at the Keto Symposium where uh, our mutual friend Christina Hess was hosting a conference and we had dinner and we hit it off. And I, I just love the work that you're doing. And we're going to talk about some really amazing outside the box, as you mentioned, uh, it might challenge your way of thinking. And I encourage the audience to keep, keep an open mind here. And I, I promise you, you're going to get some great valuable nuggets. So before we get there, what's the backstory? How did you even get involved with what you're doing today? Well, I'm a fertility physician. I practice... Uh... IVF and and uh, recurrent pregnancy loss and medicine about miscarriages and implantation failure and just all sorts of things related to um, infertility. And I've uh, been doing this now for 30 years. I own and run CNY Fertility Centers. Um, I'm a surgeon, a full-time practicing physician. I practice a lot of reproductive immunology. And um, I call myself also a nutritionist today. And ultimately, none of us are trained in nutrition in, in medical school, but I've been a standard medical uh, physician for years. I uh, went to um, USC, LA City College. I went to UCLA, uh, UC Davis for uh, medical school. And I went into uh, OBGYN because I really loved uh, taking care of um, uh, women who were seeking pregnancy and the challenges of, of being a woman. And I found it uh, very fulfilling. I kind of went into medicine because uh, I had some challenges in my family. My sister suffered from diabetes for years. And uh, I was just, again, compelled to go into medicine and see what I could do to help. Well, in my years of practicing medicine, I found that um, I was still doing just uh, the standard drugs, surgeries, and dissections. And that was kind of it in general. There was a lot of success, but there was a lot of failure. And I couldn't figure out the failure. And that kind of challenged me. I found myself getting into a mind and body medicine, uh, meditation, prayer, yoga, acupuncture, and integrating that in my practice 20 plus years ago. And while I was doing that, uh, a number of my patients were getting pregnant on paleo diet. Um, I didn't know what paleo diet was because Mediterranean diet was the healthy thing that most of us should be doing. And I focused on, on that when diet didn't matter. 
But through paleo diet, I began to read about um, diets in general. I found keto diet, Marie Emmerich and many others. And uh, then I tripped over carnivore myself uh, about 12 years ago. And I personally suffered from arthritis, psoriasis, kidney stones, migraines, and you know, a whole list of diseases that got better on paleo, got better on keto, and then went away on carnivore. So I just, for me personally, that's the, the, the scenario how I got to where I'm at. But I began to share this with my clients because my job as a physician is to find everything I can, whether it's Western medicine or Eastern medicine, things that I can do or things that they can do to help them with the success of building a family. And through that, I my sister died of, of diabetes, Marianne, I mentioned that a moment ago. And I, it was like, okay, what's the cause of disease? And I'm a why person, you know, I got to dig deep into all the why part of all of this. And when I found keto, carnivore, fasting, meditation, prayer, and, and changing my whole lifestyle, and then sharing the change with my clients, a tremendous amount of success began to happen. Well, it's not easy. It's challenging. Not everyone believes it. Most of us in Western medicine don't believe it because it's not standard because the standard philosophy is three to six meals a day, fruits, fiber, vegetables, seeds, and nuts, lean meat, no red meat. And um, there's a genetic reason or it's just, we don't know. It's mostly we don't know. And so I'm just thrilled to share the story because I feel like I'm a little kid in a candy store that just found the, the holy grail to the answers to all the universe. Yeah, well, it's an amazing journey you've had. And it's uh, incredible how many years you've been in the game and learning and unlearning and relearning, which is a very, very important, especially these days. I want to talk about your sister, Marianne. What's her name? Yes, Marianne. She was diagnosed with uh, diabetes when she was four. She ended up passing away when she was 52 from the complications of it. Uh, and it's not just Marianne, you know, that happened with my dad and it's happening to so many people. Would you say that it's actually kind of rare to die from diabetes, but it's the, the generation of it and then the, the disease is connected to diabetes that really kills somebody? Well, yeah, you know, so we call it diabetes, which is sort of our general description for what we think is the cause or just the uh, there's a compilation of disorders, which are all related to a sugar intake or plant intake, which then damages the uh, blood vessels, the nerves, uh, which then damage the organ systems that require proper nerve function and vascular function. And so in general, I think it's just a poisoning of plant eating. And that's as simple as that. And some people are more genetically predisposed than others, maybe. Uh, But my sister was exposed to something that took away her production of insulin which is type one, which is less common than the type two diabetes, which is which is um, basically secondary to excessive carbohydrate intake, where my sister has lost her insulin production for one reason or another. But interesting enough, the cure for that was give insulin and a diabetic diet was um, plants, fruits and vegetables, which essentially is a sugar diet and just a it's contributing to the worsting of it and too many people are suffering from it today. What are your thoughts on the, the, the mastering diabetes docs who promote a plant-based diet for treating type one diabetes specifically? How are they getting away with teaching that when, when you're making the case and I'm, I'm on your side here that it's actually a 
you know, a plant issue, a carbohydrate issue. So how are they promoting that and getting away with what they're doing? Well, because the paradigm or the paradox or the propaganda, trying to find the right word that goes with that, is that um, fruits and vegetables are natural, uh, healthy foods, and they're low in sugar or no in sugar. And so if you believe one thing, but truly the opposite is fact, we can't solve it because, and I don't know whether it's a lie, meaning people know it's a lie, but they keep sharing it. Or my sense is, is that because the sounding of fruits and vegetables are good for you and they're so important for you is so pervasive at every level, even smart scientific doctors can't quite figure it out because it's so wrong, this concept of what we're sharing, unfortunately. And how can we make the change? And that's what we really need to be doing. And um, uh, that's what this is all about. The more we talk about the where we share it, can we get the research to prove it? Well, the plant-based paradigm of plants are good is so powerful. And the money derived by that is so powerful that it's it seems nearly impossible. But, you know, you can't fight something. You can't fight against something. You can only sponsor for the cure. And that's what this is really all about. Yeah. Amen. And you, you had a, a TEDx talk, uh, which is all about this. And uh, I thought it was controversial because it's very different than a regular TEDx talk. It was called um, the human Ferrari. And you compared the human body to either being a Ferrari or a, a, a Hugo, I think you called, right? The, is that what it's called? The Hugo? The Hugo is the Yugoslavian uh, built car, which was designed in Italy. So, you know, it's got the, it's got the Ferrari design, but it was manufactured in the wrong place. So talk, share a little bit about what you shared during that TEDx talk. How do we build a, a human Ferrari? Well, we are actually designed as a temple, a Ferrari, and a lion, which are three things that we hold with esteem and respect. And so if you compare that to a Yugo or a pig, uh, no disrespect to any of these things, by the way, or an amusement park. And so if you and I actually have the DNA of the things that are the, the most high, but you take care of it like the most low, is it any wonder that we're all diseased and sick and dying younger and younger and younger or requiring massive amounts of healthcare dollars and drugs and dissections that don't give us quality of life, but may give us some more longevity. And so, you know, I kind of played around with this for a while because, you know, I always like to equate something to something else, right? And so who's the most valuable, irreplaceable entity of the universe? Well, you are, but why would you take care of yourself like you're not? And so we're sharing ideas that are opposite of what we've been taught, right? So, you know, even alcohol, it's okay, a glass of wine, two glasses of wine, and even the American Journal of OBGYN, the American College of OBGYN recommends red wine to a pregnant woman, which really? is disturbing to me. Again, wow. recent article last year, uh, a an expert review that a Mediterranean diet, a plant-based diet is good for you, and they even included red wine. So we know a pregnant woman or a lactating woman who's breastfeeding their child should not drink alcohol at all. And so, you know, again, you can understand that you admire a Ferrari, a temple, 
and a lion because the lions are the symbol of strength. And so we are like a lion. We're regal and strong and lions eat like a carnivore. They eat less frequently and they don't line up in line and with an addiction to a plant product, tea, coffee, alcohol, pizza, pasta, bread, and um, that's as simple as that. And pizza, I think I mentioned that. But it, it is because we need symbols, we need something to equate it to because if you go to the amusement park every day, your body's going to be trashed. And that's not good for us. Now, we've taken an amusement park and made it every day instead of recognizing we are a temple holy in its production, its, its entity, right? But we've taken holy and made it every day a holiday instead of recognizing that holidays are meant to be time to time so you can go to the amusement park from time to time. But if you go all the time, you know what it's going to do to your body. And that's sort of really what my intention was, is sort of you can say, well, you know, every time I go to the amusement park, I come back with a stomach ache or a headache the next day. Or I'm like, gee, why did I do that? And, and you go, again, DNA of the masters, but it took equipment, supplies, materials uh, with poor workmanship uh, in a place where the cars just didn't last very long. And so, yet it was designed by Fiat, so which is a which is a quality car made in Italy, but I say the Ferrari is the one. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. So it's a it's a perfect analogy. So when we see the average American, they are consuming three hundred to four hundred grams per day, probably not from fruits and vegetables, but let's say they're also throwing in some fruits and vegetables. But a lot of it's processed and seed oils, etc. And to your point that you've made in the past, there's no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. Yet, that's the majority of what we eat. So in comparison, it's like we're going to the amusement park every single day, multiple times a day. And that's part of the reason why people just are so unhealthy and feel like crap. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, essentially, you know, so we get up and we have uh, cereals, which are essentially sugars, um, and they're told they're healthy. And, you know, on our way to work, we stop at the donut place or the buck place or wherever it is. And we're grabbing, you know, a smoothie, a shake, and we're grabbing a smoothie and a shake. And we're really forgetting how critically important and valuable each of us are. And, you know, fruits and vegetables in and of themselves are not bad for you. And, and not even a little bit of sugar and cereals, it's not bad for you, except you consume it all the time. If you had that treat once in a while you'd be okay. But the fact that you're having it three to six times a day, like you're a, an herbivore, but you're more like a carnivore in your style, eat less frequently, uh, rest more, slow it down, and uh, think like the regal would think. Hey, when was the last time you bit into a juicy burger or a perfectly cooked steak and thought to yourself, this is the best thing I've ever tasted. If it's been a while, it's probably because most meat products are conventionally raised, which not only affects the flavor profile, but significantly diminishes the beneficial nutrients and minerals. And believe it or not, even products that are labeled as grass-fed or ethically raised to make you think they're high quality are often finished on grain or in factory farms, which is why I am so excited to share something with you today 
that will not only help you avoid the hormones, antibiotics, and pesticide residues that diminish the taste of conventionally raised meat, but could also save you nearly $1,000 over the next year on your grocery bill. And the best part? This may be the best tasting thing you've had in a long time. So what the heck am I talking about? I'm talking about Wild Pastures Meat Delivery. They provide the highest quality meats from small, regenerative, family-run farms here in the United States that prioritize sustainability and animal welfare. Their beef is 100% grass-fed. Their pork and poultry are pasture-raised, something you won't find anywhere in the grocery store, resulting in meats that are not only healthier for you, but also better for the environment. One of the reasons why me and my fiance Natasha loves wild pastures is that we can opt out out of supporting harmful conventional farming practices and instead support small family-run farms without spending a fortune. And the convenience doesn't stop there. They offer delivery straight to your door so you can enjoy delicious, high-quality meats without even leaving your house. No matter where you are in the lower 48 states, Wild Pastures has got you covered. Not only is this the most convenient way to get your meat products, but wild pasture meats are better for you nutritionally and they're higher in the total nutrients, phytonutrients, antioxidants, key fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, proteins, and amino acids. And today, for keto campers, for a limited time, you can get 20% off every box plus free shipping for life and... $15 off your first box. This is a crazy deal, and I hope you take advantage of it. So make the switch to Wild Pastures today and save nearly $1,000 on your grocery bill while feeling healthier and enjoying the best tasting meats of your life. All you need to do is go to the link in the podcast notes down below. Everything is already applied. All you got to do is click that link, customize your order, and you'll have some delicious, healthy tasting meats very soon. Head to the podcast notes down below, click the link, enjoy your wild pastures. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. Let's talk about fat. We know just basic human physiology, the cell membrane, which is really the key to a healthy human body, a Ferrari. Cell membrane is critical to have a beautiful, nice, healthy membrane that's with healthy integral membrane proteins and receptor sites hearing the communication from our nutrients and hormones and oxygen. And if you just ask the question, if anybody asks the question, okay, if the membrane is that important, what is the membrane made of? What supports the membrane? Well, it's 80% fat and then protein, right? So the, mem the membrane is critical. So if that's the case, why have others and so many people even to this day villainizing saturated fat and cholesterol to be so inflammatory leading to heart disease? I mean, how does, how does this propaganda, how does it stay around for this long? I don't get it. Well, again, propaganda holds strong. If you're taught something since you were born, your brain will hold on to it as true. And so we've been trained this way hundreds, if not thousands of years actually, that the plants are good, the fat is bad, the sugar is, is good, and uh, the fat is bad. And, and the animal fat, which is saturated fat, is really bad for you, but plant oils are good because they're polyunsaturated and from a they plant. lower cholesterol. Right on. So lower cholesterol will make you healthy. So, but the story was 
the lie because the strength of Ansel Keys was far stronger than the than um, oh man I get John, John uh, uh, I'm just going to come and go and I apologize but yeah. that the sugar side was that sugar's bad fat's bad the the fat's bad people won the sugar uh, people lost and so that's the marketing story pro propagated by those five percenters that control the marketplace the and the story that to you and I. The money is made on the market of selling sugars, essentially. And, and you got to be careful because a sugar, there are, there are actually thousands of sugars. And we think sugars are the bad thing. It, it really isn't as bad as you think. It's the frequency and the amounts that we consume. But the interesting part is, is that the plants are actually much of the toxic side because that's where we get the antigens, the lectins, the phytates, the oxalates, where they cause the immune reaction. Interesting enough, sugar, just white sugar in and of itself, is a glycator. It causes damage to the glycocalyx. It's like rust, okay? And so a little bit of sugar, your body's able to handle it, but a little bit of a peanut, if you are allergic to it, can kill you fast. But white sugar in and of itself, in a small amount, is not antigenic of any significance. It's the whole glycolipoproteins, the lectins, which are carbohydrate or glycan binding proteins, which are critical for us. But what's interesting is every organism has its unique glycome its unique sugars and its unique lectins. And so plants, bacteria, yeast, viruses, and all other animals have their unique barcode that's determined by their glycans, which are sugars, and glucose is just another glycan. And human beings have about nine important glycans or sugars, monosaccharides, that create this fingerprint, this barcode so that if you're exposed to these barcodes that are foreign, COVID virus, the spike protein, you've heard of those, right? But it's the spike glycoprotein that's the killer because it's the sugars that are the most antigenic, not the proteins, which is very interesting. But, but ultimately, fat was demonized. Sugar is the bank robber but it converted itself to fat. So fat got the blame. Because you don't build yourself fat at the sugar stores, you build yourself fat stores. So intuitively, it sort of makes sense. And then because you're overweight, obese, fat, and you're sicker than most lean people, we think, not true, we then, once again, fat gets the blame. But if you could step back and look at it and recognize that obesity is not the cause of disease, sugar is. And that sugar, to your point, comes from cereals, grains. It's foods that are actually turned into sugar when you eat them. There are a lot of people think, I don't have sugar, Ben. I, I, you know, I just have my oatmeal or my cereal, but they don't understand that that's turning into sugar. So here's the crazy story. All plants are made of carbon dioxide. 
That's a long chain carbon particle that is a sugar. All plants. It doesn't matter what plant it is. Kale, Brussels sprouts, asparagus, carrots, sugar. Avocados, sugar, mostly. Okay? So you if you realize that your body, like once the sugar is broken down, it gets into the hepatic portal bloodstream and goes to the liver, your body doesn't know the difference between um, kale, asparagus, broccoli, cane sugar, beet sugar, or honey. No difference. And so you can eat some sugar. That's why keto is perfect because if you're trying to get yourself into ketosis, you can you can do it. Now, it may not be perfect for everyone like myself. It took me going carnivore to rid myself of everything. But 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 I must admit I do have some plants from time to time. It doesn't bother me most of the time because I know as long as I eat less frequently, I focus on the higher amounts of fat. I will minimize my inflammation. How frequently do you have plants? Mm, a few times a week. I have my French fries maybe twice a month, four times a month, but they're they're fried in duck grease, no skin. They're dipped in sour cream with a lot of salt. So again, interesting enough. So fat goes to the lymphatics and sugars. Again, your body doesn't know which where it comes from. Goes to the goes to the liver, but and then let's see. I have a martini maybe once a month, but it's extra filthy dirty. But I minimize it. I really have less and less and less. I almost I never drink at home. I drink a, a sip when I go with my friends once in a while. Um, I'm mostly water now, sparkling water, bacon, eggs, butter, beef. My ice cream. I got to throw that in there. So I put yeah. a little bit of white sugar in my ice cream. I tried it. It's delicious. Uh, it, it's amazing. But again, if you're a ketarian keto. And you're having some plants, again, the ones you're, you have the least inflammation from, then it's no different if you have white sugar and ice cream or you have a potato or you have kale or asparagus or something like that. The, the science and the physiology of the human body is really remarkable, and that's what I focus on. So plants, they go to the liver. Fats go to the lymphatic system. Let me ask you this. My book, Keto Flex, is all about ketosis. And I love keto. I love fasting. I know you're a big fan of OMAD and fasting too. But my message is a little bit different than most keto people out there. I think I shared it when you interviewed me as well. I'm, I'm a big believer in cyclical ketosis going in and out. Now, somebody who's really overweight and obese, I want them to stay in ketosis a little bit longer. But once we build up that metabolism and got rid of those conditions, I'm a big believer in cycling in some healthy carbohydrates, even some plants if you could tolerate them. I'm not a fan of long-term sustained ketosis, uh, personally. So the question for you is, what are your thoughts on long-term ketosis? Do you think it's sustainable? Do you think it's perfectly healthy? Do you think it's important to cycle in and out time to time? I don't think we know that answer. Historically, we probably went days, in some cases, weeks without food for the first three and a half million years or whatever that number is. I don't know what it is. I think the drive to eat is so powerful and the availability is so powerful. We can tell ourselves anything because it's just easier to give a reason for it, okay? So now then each of us has our, has our exposures that make us maybe, and I use the word addiction, and, and I use it because our withdrawal symptoms or I've got to have it or I feel better in this, 
may be related to a little bit of an addiction. I'm not, it's not a negative thing necessarily. I do agree with you. You don't have to be in ketosis all the time. I don't measure ketosis anyway. Um, I just know how I feel. I like to do one meal a day in general. I feel pretty good that way. Um, I will sometimes have a little bit of um, a piece of steak in the morning or some butter. I will sometimes also have some dark chocolate. I enjoy it. I even have a piece of Wegmans dark chocolate cake from time to time. Wow. And again, (laughs) this is the amazing part because your body does not know the difference between cake, cookie, and kale when it comes to glucose. If you have a little bit from time to time, it's okay. And, And again, I find for me what I, it works for me. You find for you. And this is, I, I, vegan, vegetarians, Mediterraneans, pescatarians, and carnivorians are all welcome into this environment. We are all unique and different in our approach to our lives. If you're sick and you're now working to try to solve something, I might say to you, listen, the ultimate elimination is steak, salt, and water. And, and that's where I'm going to put you. Now, some people can't tolerate beef, but they can tolerate chicken or they can tolerate lamb. That has to do with the fingerprints of the glycobiome that causes inflammation from one thing over another and why you or I are more sensitive to it. It's either exposure or it's genetic predisposition or both. I don't know that we really know that answer. You know, what I love about you, Robert, is that it's easy to have a conversation with you. You're not dogmatic at all. You're open. You're you're always open to kind of changing your mind about things. And and you believe that everybody's different and somebody could thrive with a little bit more plants or somebody might need to eliminate them. So I love that openness about you. There's a very non-dogmatic approach to what you teach. I respect that. With what you said about some people could have meat, others need chicken or maybe bison or something else because it could create an inflammatory response. What are what are some of those symptoms that maybe the audience listening or watching should pay attention to without actually like testing and doing blood work? What are some of those symptoms that we might pay attention to that maybe the kale or the whatever it is, the broccoli is actually causing some problems in the body? So nothing is the leading symptom of everything, which is kind of interesting to understand because the leading sign symptom of heart disease is sudden death, or it's one of the leadings. And the same goes with cancer, many other things. But in general, irritability, sleep disorders, depression, anxiety, uh, hearing problems, sight problems. Um, I had migraines and bowel problems for years. And, you know, it was just, oh, you know, cures your, your aspirin or or your Metamucil or Tums or whatever it is. And so just think of the most common diseases that everyone suffers from, eczema, psoriasis, arthritis, dyslexia. I had all those things and that's it. Teeth decay, gum bleeding. I talked to Kevin Stock about this and you know, it's it's literally the, the leading, the leading disease, the most common disease is still tooth decay. And because we're feeding the microbes in the mouth, which love to destroy your glyco glycobiome, the glycocalyx. You know, those are all the things that I had. I had hemorrhoids. I, um, I had kidney stones, bowel bleeding, you know, through the years. But my, as a child, it was uh, ADHD, OCD, dyslexia, migraines, and stomach aches. Think about all those kids that are being diagnosed with what you just said. And it's a new, primarily can be a nutrition change that fixes all of that. It's insane. Well, well that's, listen, again, 
as a physician, drugs, dissections, and pills. That's the sort of the leading. And that's what I, I went into internal medicine first, but I was like, I'm just writing prescriptions for diseases. I have no idea how to do anything other than that. I went to OBGYN because I could deliver a baby. I could cut something out. It seemed like I was making some headway. But then when I really got into it and realized that the same problems, we gave pain medication, weak opiates all the time, and pain was so common, birth control pills for menstrual disorders and endometriosis, and, and ultimately the nutrition that we've been sharing in this world is deadly for humans. And the problem is we don't know what's gonna kill you when. And, and really, even carnivore, let's just say, oh, we carnivores are going to live longer. We don't know that. You know, we're all going to die. You know, am I going to get an extra six months or, or an extra five years? Or am I going to be killed by a vegetarian? I don't know. And again, <laughs> you've got to have fun with all this. And we respect everyone in this process. Again, I am not killing anyone to do my diet. I happen to focus mostly on carnivore. But I, you've got to find what feels right for you, philosophically, spiritually, or ethically. That's what this is. But my best friend in medical school, Dave Kilmer, died of cancer at age 52. He called me up. I've got lymphoma. Three months later, he was dead. He was always a gracious, amazing, positive human being, top of everything. He was the kid that was like, he got along with everyone, fun guy, but he aced everything exam and he just never studied. But he was just a down to earth guy like you, by the way. You remind me of my friend Dave in so many positive ways. And the search of why I believe a standard American diet, excessive exercise, and I think alcohol. Now, he's never a heavy alcohol drinker, but again, we use these things commonly but the problem is we don't really know that what I'm telling you is going to help you live longer, but maybe it's going to help you live better because you're not going to need the doctors or the drugs or the dissections quite as much as you might if you, if you did something different. Your friend, did you, did you know him since you were uh, a kid? No, actually, I met Dave in medical school at UC Davis. Oh, wow. And, and we just, you know, we hit it off. And, and he loved to run. I hated to run. But we'd go running. And, like, he'd be like, Whew, And I'd be like, oh, why am I doing this? <laughs> Slow but, down, but dude. But I want to I I do it because my best friend does it. But we used to play uh, you know, football and, and uh, just hang out and have a great time. Medical school for me was, like, the most fun in my life. And it was hard but, you know, it was challenging. But yeah, you see, Sarah Holberg died of, of cancer. So the question is, well, why? And watched her amazing conversation with Peter Atia. Amazing, right? And it was such a heartfelt thing. I cried through it. But the why part of it to me is still likely there's some plant antigens, lectins, oxalates, phytates, or excessive glycation from sugars or the chemicals that for some people are more harmful than others. But again, our ability to predict that completely is just not so good. Yeah, I want to get into the environmental component in a minute. Back to the what to pay attention to in terms of symptoms from plants, at least for myself personally. I have found over the years that I do not do well with anything that has almonds or almond flour. 
and that's in a lot of keto products. So I always tell my students, like, it's probably a good idea to avoid almonds. They're higher in oxalates. There are some better options out there. But for me, every time I consumed almonds, it, whether it was like almond flour or just straight up almonds, I would get like joint pain, uh, post-nasal drip. But I used to get styes, um, very common. I used to think my styes were from like my pets. Like I maybe didn't, like I touched them and I touched my eye and I infected it. But I realized it kept reoccurring and I realized it was not my pets. It was the almond flowers and it was the oxalates way of trying to get out of my body. But I remember once I was, because um, I do carnivore 30, 40 days strict, you know, a few times per year. But I remember one time last year, I was like, okay, I'm doing carnivore starting tomorrow for 40 days. I'm going to have a whole bunch of these gluten-free Capello's pizza that have a whole bunch of almond flour. I ate three of them and I immediately felt like I was getting a sty right after I ate it. And the next two days later, big, huge sty started to form and I had it for like 14 days. So I think it was because of the oxalates. Do you think that was uh, the case as well? Partially, but not okay. significantly. Oh, really? So what do you think it is? It's the plant glycans. It's the glycans. It's, it's, see, this is the, this is the part that people don't understand. COVID virus killed a lot of people. But so does influenza and hepatitis virus. And, and bacteria, yeast, and viruses are the leading killers. They all contain their unique and individual glycans. That fingerprint, it touches off the fastest reaction that you and I don't even understand. Sugars are the most antigenic, okay? So your red blood cells have a glycans that determine if it's A, B, or A, B, or O. Okay, so now if, if you're A and I give you B blood as a transfusion, you will have a reaction. It's the sugars that are foreign, less so the proteins. Okay, so it is, so the anaphylactic reactions are still likely due to a sugar molecule that are unique and different. And and not that you, I don't know if you could see this a little bit. Yeah, I see it. But but um, the... the. But explain it for those listening. Well, well uh, each of us has a barcode and the glycans are the sugars. So you can see that there are insect glycans. There are yeast glycans. There are non-human markers, barcodes. Then there are plant glycans, and there are human glycans. And if you see this, these are sialic acid. These are the most common in humans. They're less common in non-human uh, mammals, but they're absent in bacteria, yeast, viruses, and plants. Okay, so you're consuming a foreign molecule. And if you, you mentioned the environment. Okay, so we breathe, drink, and eat the environment. Would you agree? We bathe in the environment. We are expose our bodies to the environment. Uh, my partner T and I were on a walk in the beach in Sarasota a few months ago, and she started coughing. And I was like, "Are you okay?" And she said, "Is there is there an algae bloom, or with the red tide?" And I said, "Doesn't look like it. People in the in the water." She went on to the app. Bingo, there's a bloom. It, she's so sensitive to that, but I'm not. Now, I get a bite from those noceums. Okay, I walk out for one second, I come back in the house, and like I got 50 bites. It's redness everywhere. She never, they never bite her. Okay, so we all are susceptible to different 
antigens and different glycans. So ultimately, the almonds contain a certain glycan, peanuts a different glycan, because every organism, it's like why, why humans and apes can't reproduce together, right? The sperm and egg glycans are different. The embryo glycans are different. The uterine environment, its glycans are different. That is the key. This is the magic barcode that why, you know, some people tolerate almonds. I tolerate them a little bit better, but I stopped eating all those things of any significance or frequency because I realized if I did, but if you had a peanut allergy, like similar, but, but you probably, you didn't have an anaphylactic reaction, but we don't know if it's going to happen one day. That's the problem right now, less so, but people who have an anaphylactic reaction to peanuts, obviously you can't even get near them. You can't even kiss someone that you might've eaten or eaten a peanut butter, right? The risk of passing that one molecule of peanut could kill them. A bee sting, same thing, right? Some people are more allergic than others. So that's why there's not a straightforward answer to any of this because our genetic presuppositions are different enough that we're able to tolerate things more frequently. My sister might've gotten type one diabetes damage to her islet cells because she happened to have an allergy that caused the damage. Remember, think of all diseases as allergies. Cancer's an allergy, Crohn's is an allergy, migraine's an allergy, right? Your sty is an allergy. Your body's reacting to a foreign particle that you breathed, drank, or ate, or somehow it got through your skin, it will either get you right where it enters or it will just go wherever it wants. Remember, it's dust in the wind. It's going to be impaled in every organ of your body and every cell of your body. For some of those particles, they cause a rapid immunologic response. And for others, it's just a chronic slow and sort of mostly benign. Interesting. Okay. So is there any way, any testing we can do to see which barcodes we do better with and which barcodes we should stay away from? Well, you can do some skin testing and maybe some blood testing, but if you have any of the symptoms of any diseases, there's something you're breathing, eating, or drinking or getting in you in some way or another that's getting in there. But, you know, you, 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 moms will say, you know, they always drink milk or cheese and, you know, they, they get these puffy eyes and these phlegm and cost. My daughter, my, we never, I didn't know this. My daughter is now 34, so long ago. And uh, my wife at the time, I either didn't make milk or didn't want to breastfeed. Uh, and and uh, so we used Enfamil. And as a OBGYN resident, they gave it to us for free. Okay. So my daughter was just infamil. Now she had projectile vomitus as a little child for years. Okay. But did we ever think allergy? No, not really. Right. And so it was soy based and all these things. Now she went on to Princeton, NYU and Wharton business school. So she's quite intelligent. So now I'm not going to say that that made it that way. I'd like to think maybe mom and dad had something to do with that, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but probably not. Um, but, but I, I think that there are some things, but it sometimes takes talking to someone, a coach like yourself or, or, or other people in the, the space of coaching and nutritional area of, of, of science that can help you understand, well, let's look at your food uh, list. 
okay? A daily journal of what you eat. You must do it in one way or another. I don't care if it's an app, a picture, or write it down. Because if I ask people what they ate, it's usually clean, healthy, um, organic, and uh, balanced, all right? And I said, no, no, no. What do you, or keto, paleo, they don't say carnivore very often, but more and more they are with me. But write it down because quite commonly, we don't know, we don't, we forget, right? I get three things. I'm saying you eat three things and that's it. Well, then I ask, well, do you eat, do you eat fruit, fiber, vegetables, seeds? And I'll say, yeah, I eat all those things. I say, okay, we'll write those down. So it's really critical. It's just a food journal, symptoms you're having. You can get some skin tests. There are some blood tests that are a little bit more than I, than I understand because that's not my area of expertise. Hey, Keto Camper, there's something that I do every single day to supercharge my mitochondria to help with inflammation and soreness from a workout, and that is the use of red light therapy. This is called photobiomodulation, and there's a ton of research that shows the benefits of near-infrared and red light therapy. The red light therapy that I use is from Bon Charge. I simply use it 10 to 20 minutes per day. It has both near-infrared and red light, and every single day when I use this, I feel ready to take on my day. So whether you're dealing with gut pain, joint inflammation, or you want to just supercharge your mitochondria, get your hands on a quality red light therapy device. And I highly recommend the one from Bon Charge. They hooked you all up for being a Keto Camp podcast listener with a 15% off coupon code. All you need to do, check out this product and all the wonderful products they have available is to go to bondcharge.com slash ketocamp and use the coupon code ketocamp at checkout to save 15% off your order. We will drop that link and coupon code in the podcast notes. Go check it out. And let's get right back to this episode. Uh, I want to transition into fertility, which you're obviously an expert on. You've got a couple books on it as well. well a book on keto, a book on uh, fertility called The Fertile Feast. Uh, so go get that book. We'll, we'll link it down below. Um, and the role of environmental toxins on what we're seeing with uh, fertility issues and just um, inflammation. So I know you know these studies. The Environmental Working Group examined the cord blood of newborns, and they found that they began life exposed to 287 of the 413 toxic chemicals in the study, and 180 of them were found to cause cancer. And according to the Columbia University School of Public Health, 95% of cancer is caused by diet and environment. So what is going on with our environment and uh, children being born, babies being born, uh, having a, just this chance of like fighting for their life? Once we were hunters and occasionally gatherers, I bet, and we then began to make fire, which began the, the exposure of smoke and maybe we smoked some of the things we before we ate them. But in our modern world, you know, the, the toxins in the air come from every industrial plant you can imagine, our cars, our, our coal plants, uh, and every product we consume, uh, just read the labels. They have things that I can't even pronounce. And so it's getting everywhere. And there are neurotoxins, endocrine disruptors, there are metabolic disruptors. They can kill you fast or they can damage your egg or your sperm and your great-great-grandmother and grandfather, which those damages can be passed on to you generations later. So the real exposure begins when 
before you're even born, before you even created in utero, think about that, right? The the sperm exposed, the egg exposed, and mom and dad, and now now your embryo is exposed because mom, whether she's drinking, smoking, uh, what she's eating, what things she's putting on, I can't remember the name of the soap, but really fancy, expensive soap that we've been using for a few years, was just recalled for bacteria and bugs inside it. And then, you know, it's like I said, well, I, I don't even use anything in the shower anymore. I just jump in, cold water, no soap, best I've ever done. And again, the majority of the, the chemicals come from plants, actually, okay? Because plants, they make pesticides in order to control the bacteria, yeast, and viruses because bacteria, yeast, and viruses love plants. And you think about the microbes, they're everywhere. But then the initial chemicals like, like uh, nicotine and caffeine come from plants. We use those, by the way, as pesticides for our agriculture, by the way, and then we began to practice, you know, changing them and adjusting them and making all these synthetic chemicals. So they're using nicotine and caffeine as pesticides in plants. Is that what you just said? Oh, oh absolutely. So you would soak tobacco leaves in water, sprayed on the plants to kill the bugs, right? And so, I mean, caffeine and ca coffee beans have toxic chemicals in them, right? There's toxins in everything, by the way, even a piece of ribeye steak likely has a minute amount of toxins because anything you eat has something in it that may be harmful, but the, but it's 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 now the amount, right? Is heroin good for us, right? You know, luckily maybe some people survive it, but it's not something good we want. But every plant, every organism, every bacteria, yeast and virus, every every tick, all these things have something. If you think about cereals, right, the grains, the granaries are allowed to have a certain amount of bacteria, yeast, and viruses or, you know, or rat poop in it. It's, you know, the zero is never the answer because nothing is zero. So they're going to say, well, there was only this amount of parts per million. But once someone gets sick from it, you're going to ask the question, well, maybe our parts per million should be zero, and maybe this allowable amount that the government gives or industry allows is not good. And so that's why it's so important to be really careful to know what you're consuming, what you're bathing in, what you're breathing. You know, nowadays, people bring me nice candles to light, right? But they're all scented or the soaps are scented or the whatever you're putting on or makeup, whatever, even, okay, I use a little bit of hair gel, all right? It's made from sugar, Okay. You know that sugar gets, gets get, you know, it hardens, right? That the hardening of our arteries, by the way, it's caused by sugar, not by fat. So Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. There was a study that came out from the um, University of Newcastle, which showed that the average person consumes around 2,000 tiny pieces of plastic each week, or about five grams, which equates to the weight of the average credit card. You know... It's such an interesting thing because the, so microplastics, okay, and we don't even know where they're at, but fish to me have the majority of the microplastics. Now, maybe we're breathing some of them because dust, you see the environment dust is made from mostly plants, pollen, most antigenic, by the way. And that's why even when you eat plants, that's why when I stopped plants and suddenly I, I wasn't using my hay fever medicine, which I've been taking for years. I had it in my bag for two years. I opened it up one day and said, 
I haven't touched that in two years. Wow. But the microplastics, you know, we piss and poop in the waters ways of the world. It goes into the oceans and the other waters and the animals that we eat from there consume it. Now, it, maybe you can't get away from it completely. And so you, you, you do the very best you can, depending on where you're living, your culture, your resources. I mean, obviously what we're trying to do is say, what's the top of the line? You know, you're going to find something that works right for you and your family in this, but you want to do your very best to be at the top because that's critical. But, you know, I try my best to um, eat out of a kilt, drink out of a kilt's cup, you know, do my ceramics. Although, okay, here someone bought me some Gerolsteiner out of plastic. I didn't know they even had those in plastic. I've only seen them in glass. I, you know, they delivered it. And I was like, okay, what do I do with that? Well, usually what I do is I then pour it into my, my glass bottle or my metal bottle that I carry. But, you know, we have to be very cognizant. What do we do with these things? So you recycle them properly and hopefully our recycling methods are managing them in the way that they're not just spewing them into the universe. But the problem is, is the oceans of the world, the waterways are just spewing with these nanoparticles and the plastics are, are everywhere. And I don't know what, how many lifetimes it's going to take, but eventually humanity may be gone. Maybe the manufacturing of all the fake things that we create are going to be gone. And the plants who already control the world are going to take it back and say enough is enough. We tried you guys for a while, but they're already, I don't they're know, already doing that at uh, Chernobyl. They're already thriving the bacteria. Uh, the well, well, that so the plants. See, this is the interesting part, and that's why when you see when you eat a plant, it has DNA. It's no different than a virus, yeast, or bacteria. It, in one way, wants to own you. And so, you know, heroin, cocaine, marijuana, cyanide, nicotine, all the addictive things come from plants. And Georgia Eat, I don't know if you've had the pleasure of having her on your show yet, yet but she, and I haven't either, but she's amazing. Uh, Andres Ianfeld from dietdoctor.com, I learned from, I don't know, 15 years ago. And I emulate, but then I moved on. But Georgia Eat, basically a... a She's healing all the, the mental disorders by going to a mostly meat diet. But I love her because she's very scientific. Well, we haven't proven this. The science doesn't say this. And here's what I can tell you, I think, rather than I'm right and, you know, that, that part of it. But we need to clean up the world. And that's what this is really all about. Do the very best you can in this world to take care of you and your family. But remember this, all of humanity is our family. We are all the same. We're unique in our in our in our outward expressions of life, and maybe there's some genetic predisposition slightly, but 99% we're more like lions than anything else. And lions are regal, and they know how to care for their their family. I have a, a couple of a specific fertility questions. So, Yo, my best friend, his name is Ronald, and his wife Carla are having their second baby due in June, and she texted me yesterday asking. What do I think about her eating her own placenta? Well, likely we did it because you wouldn't want to waste any potential resource for energy. And, and ultimately, if you go back to the glycobiome, your placenta is more you than anything else you eat. And so you have created this master meal with uh, blood and uh, fat, and protein uh, and sugars. 
There's stem cells in there too? And stem cells, of course there are. There are placental stem cells which are uh, anti-inflammatory. You know, I don't know that I understand completely what it fixes in the sense of, well, I'm going to give it to you for your diseases, but there's a little information. We do some stem cell PRP in our work in infertility because we think it really helps. And the answer is yes. How should you prepare it? I don't know that answer, like sous vide or, or raw. <laughs> Cap- or encapsulated maybe? Tri-age or capsulated. Well, pr- people are probably, they're they doing it already, probably, right? Yeah. Um, but I think we're too we're too sort of turned off by things that we should be like, wow, this is amazing and good for us. You know, fatty liver or blood. You know, we should eat the bloody liver. You see, we we historically likely ate the blood, the organ meats, right? You got it. You didn't like drain it out and then eat it, right? They valued that. The uh, most. It was critical. And so Iron. Why do we have a lack of iron? Well, even if you're eating lean meat, you're not eating the fatty meat nor the blood. That's where it's at. So the spleen, the liver, the lions cut the organism open, eat the organ meats. That's number one. And the, uh, the fat, the fat that, the, that surrounds the kidney and the organs is so critical. We infuse fat and I recommend a stick of butter or fat every day to reduce bowel inflammation first. And then it'll go to vascular inflammation. Remember, the vessels support and provide the fat, which is suppresses microbes. And so if you think about it, have you ever noticed that butter never molds? Yeah. Because fat and obesity is not the cause of disease. The toxic bucket is everywhere because it comes from the bowels of what you ate in the day, in the week, in the month but it's not fat. Well, Dr. Kilch just gave everybody the approval to eat a stick of butter every day. Doctor approved right there. (laughs) One more question on fertility. Take your Uh, time. Male with high levels of follicle stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone, uh, chronically high for years and years and years. What would be the cause of that? I, I was thinking a pituitary adenoma, but there was no symptoms for that. What would be some other causes for that? Well, there could be a pituitary adenoma and you want to you get an MRI or a CT of the brain to just check because sometimes there are some adenomas, but usually it's the opposite. It suppresses LH and FSH. Yeah, right. When it's an adenoma, it's usually lower, right? Yeah, right, right, right. right. Uh, okay, but so the, the high LH and FSH is, is, is usually related to testosterone depletion or estrogen depletion. So your end organs aren't making estrogen or testosterone. So the brain says, hey, there's no estrogen because it's a positive and negative feedback system. So if there's no estrogen or testosterone, your brain says, ah, LH and FSH, let me stimulate the testes and the ovary to make the appropriate, they make an egg, make estrogen, they make, make, they make testosterone from the, from the Leydig cells. That makes sense. Something I forgot to mention, I don't think you'll mind me sharing because I'm not saying their name, but um, undescended testicle as well. You think that's why? Okay, so okay, so here's gets back to the magic of glycosylation. Okay, so now glycosylation is the normal binding of a sugar. Remember, there are many sugars, not just glucose, to a protein. So endoplasmic reticulum and the Golgi apparatus, that's where protein production 
and glycosylation take place. So these proteins are getting the proper three-dimensional structure and the proper charge, negative or positive, so that when they are released in the bloodstream, these are hormones, okay? LH and FSH, by the way, are glycoproteins. AMH is a glycoprotein, okay? So the glycosylation is critical, which then goes to the organ system and turn things on or off. So if your glycation is damaged, if your glycosylation is damaged by glycation, and what's the leading cause of glycation? Sugar. Sugar. Which one? Glucose. Yeah. It's the leading glycator. And how do we know that? Because diabetes is an excessive sugar environment in the bloodstream. Okay? So diabetics get glycation to every nook and cranny of their body. They lose their legs, their eyes, their kidneys, their heart, their life. Just to name a few things. And so if you think about it, there are signals in the body that happen due to some glycosylating process. Why and when, that's a little bit of a mystery, but there's probably things that have to do with the circadian rhythm, the light of the, of the world. And, and, and so there are things that cause the testes to drop at the right time, cause the uterus to form properly. Every organ system in your body, if you think about every abnormality, even a chromosomal, a genetic, or an anatomic abnormality, it's likely caused by defective glycosylation or glycosylation product or a foreign glycan that actually has been derived to do exactly what it does to either disrupt your normal function and or kill you. Because a bacteria yeast and virus wants to eat you. Would you agree? Yeah. Do they want to eat plants? Yes, they do. Yeah. So do plants, are they live organisms? Mm -hmm. Do they have a life cycle that they want to find food? Mm -hmm. Are plants capable of killing things? Yes. Are they able to sense the environment? Mm -hmm. Energy. It's all basic energy. It's electromolecular energy. See, we put it into sort of this idea that of a product that has a shape, a size, or it has something that's really good for us, like, like um, um, glucose, right? Or some protein is really good for us, by the way. And we overemphasize the value of proteins. They're less valuable than you think because we need a lot less than we say, in my opinion, okay? Because you will rarely find protein deficiency, but you will find overexposure to sugar and underexposure to fat. Anorexics die fast. And so fat is the fuel for the mitochondria, not sugar. And I'll just throw this in real quick, is the function of the liver is to make fat via insulin out of amino acids and sugars. And if you cannot do that, you die fast. And so this idea that glucose is your mitochondrial energy and it's the energy for your brain, I will bet is incorrect. And it's, it's, if you step back, you might be able to understand it, but it, since it's so propaganda in us that sugars are fast energy and fat is our long energy, that's the confusing part.
So for this LH, um, LH, FSH, chronically high, undescended testicle, what, what, like, what's the solution? Is it bad to have that? Is it, does it make the person infertile? Like, what are the solutions here? An undescended testes. Sorry, I went on a diatrop there, didn't I? <laughs> no, no, I love that you did that. It's all good. <laughs> um, so an undescended testes is at risk of developing cancer because it's exposed to the wrong temperature for too long. And so you got to pull it down if you can get it down. Okay. And so my bet is the high LH and FSH is related to low or no testosterone produced in the testes. Got it. That makes sense. So, but there may be things that bind to the testes and block the normal LH and FSH exposure to that protein uh, a key lock. And so that's part of the problem. We don't always know the why part of it or what it is, but my bet is in, a, in sort of a global concept and idea, something happened that prevented the normal drop down of the testes. Then it was exposed to the wrong temperature. And because of that, it began to die off and now it can't make testosterone anymore. The brain says make testosterone. It, it may make a little bit because the higher the, the LH and FSH goes, it's trying to make the testosterone. Eventually, it dies and it's just like way up here and not just up here when it should be down here. Got it. Okay. So finding a way to pull it back down would be ideal. What happens if the person can't do that? Well, they just... Well, well so historically you'd find these at a young age because typically there's a there's a scrotal testicular inguinal exam for children number one and also in the the newborn exam will always look to feel the testes now right. they, if they're not there right away they may drop subsequently but typically you'll get that in the first or second year of life or by age five someone's going to find that and if they can they're usually stuck in the inguinal canal and they can be brought down but sometimes they can't and they're removed. It's usually one, not both. And so that's why, um, you know, you could still function with one testicle uh, in this. But if it's an adult and it's found, it may be removed uh, if it's just one and the other one's okay. But if the LHFSH is high, but I've seen people where you have a high LH and FSH, but you still find sperm. Yeah, So the question is, you know, they, so if they're not having fertility problems and they've got one high testes and they're getting higher LH and FSHs, there may be on their way to something that's going to damage the testes the rest of the way. And they're at higher risk of potentially testicular cancer also because of where it's at. So what, what are some markers they should get to, to, to monitor or they just get a physical every year? It, it, well, they should certainly see a physician that has expertise in that area and ultrasound can help and uh, look at the testosterone, LH and FSH levels. Um, and certainly, you know, this is where metabolic um, uh, evaluation, cardiovascular evaluation and just general health and wellness evaluation, because you might find that you have some other things going around on at the same time. Uh, that may be contributing to to sir, your overall health and wellness. Yeah, it makes sense. Awesome. Great answer. So last question is this. Vitamin G, my favorite vitamin in the world, gratitude. <laughs> my question for you, Doc, is what are you grateful for today? I'm grateful for being here with you today 
and sharing these ideas of health and wellness that really each and every human being can take control of their health and wellness. And you can serve your physician actually to share this information so they can learn it and share it with others. So every day I go through the gratitude list and I, I, I did ask you the question and you gave me that answer. And I now use it in all of my questions, by the way, when I talk to people, because, you know, we learn something from everyone and gratitude attitude. Uh, I'm listening to David Goggins book, um, um, you know, uh, never finished and, uh, and reading Sean Baker's book and, and reading and watching your stuff is, is amazing, but grateful for all the exposure to these ideas that are opposite and hard to believe. And when you expose yourself to things you don't believe and are opposite, you grow and learn. And that's really the, the key to this. And we're all, we're all healing. And love and gratitude is, is the key. And I think the one thing we're missing in this space is faith in God and the higher power within all of us. And when we can share that, because this isn't, there's no fight here. You and I disagree on things. I disagree with a lot of people on things, but, but I'm always, well, you know, well, and I just am curious, well, well, what are the, maybe there is a solution or an example to explain it, and we just haven't gotten there yet because we know like almost nothing in this universe. Yeah, I, I love nothing. that. I love that added, your attitude. I love your mindset. I was telling you earlier, you're just somebody who's open, you're non-dogmatic. So I appreciate that about you. And of course, you're a brilliant uh, physician who has so much knowledge, but you're so open to conversations and you're always learning and unlearning and relearning. And I respect that a lot. Can I say one other thing? Yeah, please. Or two other things. So, so you, you know, you, you said we are all amazingly smart and our DNA is masterful. And the more I sort of just immerse myself in these conversations, I become smarter. And that's what it really is about. You know, everyone is smart. And, you know, this keto and carnivore healing people with autism and all so many learning disabilities and this idea is that, that we all learn differently. I learned by doing. I couldn't read. And so the exposing ourselves to things. And then one other thing, heat damages DNA. And excessive exercise can heat up the core and cause damage, which may also lead to a lot of diseases. I just wanted to mention that because the same thing with the testicle. So we learn from, gee, why is the testicle outside? Because it must be cooler. And excessive exercise may be damaging and deadly to some people and less so others. And why? Because the leading way to, to denature DNA is just heat it up. Just throw an egg in a pan and see what happens. You think that's in, so? You think that's what happened with your friend? Who was I, I think that that was a big factor that yeah. contributed to that. But again, we're speculating. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. that's the fun part of this. And listen, you love running so much because it helps in other areas. Go for it. You know, I slowed down personally, but I loved it. And and I didn't exercise for ten years. And literally about a year ago, I got back into it because I was missing something. And I enjoyed it. Plus, I want to look like Sean Baker and Anthony Chafee someday. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good goal. Well, there's so much that uh, we'll cover on round two, like fasting and some different topics. So we'll do a round two. But your website is drkilt.com. That is doctor spelled out. And your Instagram is at drkilt. Again, doctor spelled out. Anywhere else you want them to go and check you out? That's the best place. Just go there. Then you can get to every other place in the universe. And, you know, that's a beauty. And I link people like yourself and all other people in this space that have inspired me to dig in and learn more. And we have to be lifetime 
learners. That's the most important thing. Continue being a student. Amen. Love that. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I've got vitamin G for you, Doc. I already look forward to the next time we do this again. I love you, my friend. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Kiltz. I love that man. He is fantastic. If you're on Instagram, go follow him on Instagram. We'll drop his uh, link down below for Instagram. Go subscribe to his great YouTube channel. Fantastic YouTube channel. His podcast is called Carnivore Conversations. I was blessed to be interviewed on there as well. His website is Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R Kiltz, K-I-L-T-Z.com. If you want to check them out, we'll put everything down below in the podcast notes. Please consider sharing this episode with a friend, somebody who you believe could get value from a conversation like this. And please consider leaving the show a rating and review. It really helps the show grow, helps us reach more people and change more lives. A reminder, if you want to join the upcoming seven-day keto kickstart challenge, which is free, join me, Dr. Annette Boz, Dr. Jason Fung, Dr. Ken Berry, and many, many more. And uh, it's free and you can win over $10,000 in prizes. Head over to ketocampchallenge.com or click the link in the podcast notes down below. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I love and appreciate you, Keto Camper. I've got a lot of vitamin G gratitude for you. I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.